0: series this year on how to build your dream. Building your dream is not difficult. If you can understand the necessary steps required to build a dream, because you don't just dream a dream and there it is, you know. Uh Uh-uh, there's some steps you've got to follow. So we talked about vision. You have to see it. It's got to be clear in your mind. And then you not only have to see it, but you have to say it and you have to speak life over your own projects, your family, whatever your dream is about, your ministry, whether it's your business you're building, you have to speak life over that. And the reason I took the time to address that is so many people, inadvertently, are always speaking death over their project, their their assignment, their, their destiny, and they don't even realize it. By always voicing the negatives, they're speaking life into the negatives. And taking life from the positives. And that's how so many people destroy their dream. And then we talked about how you got to pray it. And I just gave you a demonstration of what happens when you pray because you need to dream dreams that are so big that God has to get involved to make them become realities. And then we talked about you got to pay it. There's a price to pay. And you have to do all of that. And you got to play the hand that's dealt you. And you can't wish for somebody else's. And here's what happens in life. Come on, folk, be real. You know that if people don't have a dream and a clear vision, and they don't know where they're going. And they're just treading water, drifting along with a current, you know, and all of that kind of thing. And just whatever happens, kesadah, sadah. Then somebody else has a dream, a vision. They see it. They begin to say it. They begin to pray it. They begin to pay the price. They begin to play the hand that's dealt to them. You know what happens? Doesn't happen overnight, but they start making steps toward the achievement of their dream. The person who doesn't have vision is still treading water in the same place. And slowly this other person is now pulling away from them and getting out front. And so this guy over here that's treading water looks at this one and says, gee, I wish I could have some breaks like they're having. You know, I'd like to trade places with you. Uh, some guys get all the luck. Uh, that's an old Rod Stewart song from way, years ago. Some guys have all the That's, that's what they, they think. Some guys have all the luck. And the truth of the matter is that's not what was going on. And to keep you from someday ruining and regretting the wasting of your years. You need to understand that life is a progression of steps that if carefully followed will get you somewhere. And we finally come to this part now about toward the, the fall, about you've got to stay it. You've got to stay the course. And I got on this and all I could talk about was prayer and that's all anybody else could talk about. I'm going to finish this today, but I want to go a different direction. I'm going to talk about something else. So we've been talking about what is your life and... And then Philippians, that I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because if you follow these progressive steps, you will be moving upward with your life. And you need to know this because you don't want to dumb down in life and just accept whatever happens. Can I tell a blonde joke? Can I tell anybody here that's blonde going to be offended? Amen. Please don't be. Blondes get a a bum rap. I was snow white haired almost when I was a kid. So I'm married to a blonde. At least she is right now. Amen. (laughs) She hasn't always been and may not always be for the rest of her life. But she's a blonde right now. And so don't tell her I told this joke. I had to figure out a way to do this at 1115 where she's not be offended. But There was a blonde who just got sick and tired of all of the blonde jokes. And one evening she came home and memorized all the state capitals. Back in the office the next day, some guy started telling a dumb blonde joke and she was incensed. She interrupted him with a shrill announcement. I've had it up to here were these blonde jokes. I want you to know that this blonde went home last night and did something probably none of you could do. I memorized all the state capitals. They were impressed. And one of the guys, of course, said, I don't believe you. What is the capital of Nevada? You're going to have to listen close. Okay. In, she answered. <laughs> You'll get it in a moment. In. There are two different kinds of capitals if you haven't caught it yet. There are capital letters and there are capitals. In. Well, you want to make sure that you get it when it comes to formulas. In life, you're going to be confronted by situations and by circumstances that are trying to make you give up and settle for less in life than God meant for you to enjoy. By less, I mean less success, less promotions, less faith, less prayer, less understanding of the principles of God's Word, less happiness and peace in your home, less worship, less love, yes, less money, less satisfaction, less inner peace and contentment. There are forces in life that actively want to make sure. That you settle for less. And to reach your full potential, it will be necessary that you persevere. You must stay the course. Father, I pray today that you will speak a word to our hearts and that you will open your word to our understanding. Thank you for this incredible book that contains life, that gives it so freely. It contains the wisdom of the ages. May we embrace that. Wrap our minds around it. And incorporate it into the way we live. In Jesus name. Everybody said amen. amen. Revelation 3. 10-12. Because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Which shall come upon the whole world. To test those who dwell on the earth. Behold. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. And while do those words ever resonate, I'm coming quickly. You know what they're saying right now? Have you read the news the last several days? they say we are already in World War III right now. That's what they're calling all of this, World War III. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God, or from af- af- from, out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. <clears throat> Revelation 21, verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, and he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Note particularly verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Three principles or truth about perseverance leap from these verses and command our immediate attention. Number one, first notice that God commands us to persevere. Revelation 3, 10 through 12, you read those verses again. But verse 10 specifically, because you have kept my command... To persevere. What? My command to persevere. Wasn't a suggestion, wasn't an option. I command you to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Quitting or becoming content with less if it means avoiding a struggle, which is what many people do to avoid a struggle, they compromise and decide to settle for less is not an option that pleases God. It's not one He's happy with you selecting. God wants you to have everything that He purchased for you at Calvary. And as I have said so many times, the benefits of Calvary are not limited to just the spiritual dimension of life. And the church years ago made a tragic era I'm talking about God's church throughout the earth and believing that's what it was all about. Just the spiritual component when you have seven dimensions of your life. No, no. What he purchased for us at Calvary impacts every single one of the elements of our lives that make us who we are. And so he commands us to persevere. He's not pleased. When his sacrifice and the death of his son on Calvary has purchased for us things that we do not take advantage of in our lives. Number two, perseverance enables us to advance in times of opposition and trial. Revelation 3, 10 again, because you have kept my command to persevere, notice, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Every one has a faces and has a time of testing and trial in this life. I don't care who you are, saved or unsaved, saint, sinner, born again, not born again. I don't care what part of your life it is. You will face test in the course of your life. We wish it wasn't that way, and we wish we were always sailing in calm waters with a bright sun in our faces and the wind gently rippling through our hair and a soft breeze caressing our brow, but life is not always like that. Sometimes you're hanging on for everything you're worth. There are times of testing, and I used to believe that testing was something that was meant to be a problem for us. And what I figured out later on is that, that it's the devil that is unwittingly involved, as it were, and God is using him to actually accommodate his plans of greatness for us. You see, the devil has brain damage, as you've heard me say before, in the book of Genesis, it says that, that when Adam sinned, the prophecy came forth that the seed of the man will bruise the head of the serpent, and all the head of the serpent, all the serpent will be able to do is bruise the heel of the seat of the man. Literally at Calvary, something must have happened, irreparable, irreversible brain damage occurred to the devil is the only way I know how to describe it. Because after a while, most of us, having seen the same pattern, wake up and say, gee, I do this and this keeps happening. If I want to change, let me tweak this that I'm doing to tweak the outcome poor devil's never figured that out, and it's been 2,000 years. He keeps sending us tests, and God keeps using those tests as the instrumentalities of our promotion. We hate testing. Nobody says, hooray, I've got a test. And most of us, testing is something we define in elementary school and high school terms, seriously speaking. All of us know what finals are about, right? The month of May, just before the end of the school year. Now, all of us are familiar with the periodic tests that come all during the year. And we somehow, in our mind, still hold on to this little immature attitude we had as children in school regarding tests. Oh, gee, it doesn't a test. That means i got to study. I don't want to test. I hate tests. You know, and, and that's how we act about tests. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, acted as a child. But when I became adult, an adult, I was supposed to put away childish things. And that means understandings of life as well. Those tests we might not have at the time understood, but we've come to learn now, were actually not about causing us difficulty. They were put there so that we could be evaluated for promotion." They wanted to know if we can go to the next level or not. And I want you to understand that every test in life is ultimately designed this way. God wants to promote you. And so he looks around and says, well, how can I achieve that? Are they ready for the next level? Tell you what, there's that poor old dumb brain damaged devil. Go ahead, give him a test. And the devil comes along, and God takes everything the enemy's doing, metamorphosizes it, turns it around, reprocesses it, and turns it to our good. And we end up at a higher level than we were another grade, a promotion than we were before the test came. Every single test you ever go through in life is designed to end with you at a higher place than you were when you went into it. Oh, I wish I had an amen right now. Thirdly, perseverance qualifies us to inherit all God has planned for us. Because you see, as I mentioned a while ago, point number two was God wants you to advance in times of opposition. Move forward, not just tread water or hold your own, which is what many people do. In times of challenge, they flip into neutral. And just, if I can just make it through, I'm going to tread water. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what God's intending. There is advancement that is involved in this. And God is using this to make you inherit all. I need somebody to say all. Look at that word. God wants us to inherit all that he has planned for us. Revelation 21, 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all. What things? Come on, say it. What things? All things. things, And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I've got a word, and I feel it burning in my spirit. Somebody's getting ready to step into all things. Amen. (laughs) Forgive me. I feel my anointing kicking in. Somebody I'm talking to... You're walking through some stuff right now because you're getting ready to be promoted to all things. And if you didn't walk through this, you would be content to stay where there are some things, but God's got so much better for you just ahead of you, and you're right on the verge of a breakthrough in your life. Amen. The Bible tells us of so many people who faced very, I can't get away from that. Forgive me. I I tried to move on, and I just feel like, on the inside. Ah, somebody's getting ready to see what all looks like. You've seen part, but now you're getting ready to know what all looks like. You've known what it's like to get by, but now you're going to know what it's like to thrive. I want somebody in this house to understand what I'm saying. Because God's speaking a word to you right now. This passage of Scripture has just set me on fire. All things. All things. Mm, i got to move on. So many people in the Bible we read about faced very difficult circumstances and overwhelming odds to go on and become victorious in their struggle. They didn't just tread water. They advanced in the middle of it. They persevered. And God rewarded them. Joseph persevered when he was betrayed repeatedly by those around him who never saw his potential and that he had... That, that was locked the potential locked up inside of him, but he persevered. There was Abraham, the story of his perseverance. And then there is Moses who persevered, as did Joshua and Caleb and Deborah and Gideon and Hannah and, and David and Elijah and Daniel and the three Hebrew children and Mordecai and Esther. And without exception, everyone who persevered ended up better than they were before they went into the circumstance. And, And we are amazingly inadept as human beings. Don't take that as a personal challenge because I include myself in this. We are amazingly inadept. We lack the ability to learn from what these principles in the Bible are trying to help us understand. We read this and we say, yeah, I know it worked that way for them. But we get in the middle of it and you know what we do? We start panicking. Oh, I'm in the middle of a test. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Well, the reason that we have all of these examples in the Word of God is so God can show you, I'm Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. I don't ever change. And if I did it for them, I'm going to do it for you. Hello. Stay the course. Stay the course. Tell somebody, stay the course. Amen. These all persevered, the names I just mentioned, against extraordinary And challenging obstacles in the middle of difficult times and in the midst of hostile situations and with people that were antagonistic. And you know what happened? They were rewarded for doing so. Their perseverance qualified them for the elevation that came into their lives. You don't receive elevation if you quit. There is no reward for those who give up. You must overcome to be rewarded. It's what Jesus said. He who overcomes. That's a process of moving forward even in the midst of adversity. You see what I'm talking about here? Amen. He will inherit all things. And I I sometimes become concerned because I think that cultural influences affect us in ways that, that we do not critically examine or even notice. And many of us are raised these days in school systems and with the current social construct out there that is like this, that, for example, if there's a competition in school, you know what they do now? They reward all of the kids. Everybody gets a trophy, even if you lose. And I personally disagree with that. I don't know your feelings, but I think that what that does is it promotes, if you will, mediocrity. Amen you say, but they're little kids and they're in competition. Well, I've got two things to say about that. Number two, they're not going to be little forever. And number, number one, they're not going to be little forever. number two, they will be in competition the rest of their lives. They're going to be in competition for the hand of the girl they want to marry or the, the man. You know what I'm talking about? They're going to be in competition for the job. They're going to be in competition for the promotion and competition for everything that goes on in life. And what you do when you try to insulate children, and you reward them, and they're doing nothing but just showing up. What you're doing is you're promoting mediocrity rather than excellence. And, amen. Now, I'm not talking about being ugly to people that lose you. You want to inspire and draw out of them excellence. But what I'm saying is we've gotten it into our minds that just being here is enough. It isn't enough, you've got to persevere, you've got to, you've got to hang in there, amen. We set our children up to be failures by promoting mediocrity and not encouraging and rewarding achievement. What you do is reward achievement. And I realize that the one reason that this is, is so today and is a part of the, the social environment of our world whether it's school or the gym or anywhere else we go is because there was a season and there has been a time in in many people's lives when maybe parents who didn't know better all they did was emphasize the negative right you ever one of those uh, have one of those kind of moments as a child where it felt like your mom or dad or somebody a teacher or coach was all they were doing was pointing out what you can't do you're not doing right. And you don't want to train a child like that. You search for those teachable moments and watch what they do that's good. And you recognize that and you call that to attention. Don't constantly call the negatives to attention. Call attention to the positives and reward them for the good things they're doing. And you know what that little guy will do? He'll beam and he'll be so proud of himself. And, and he'll, he'll knock himself out trying to do better in life. But just rewarding mediocrity basically strips that child of any potential it has to to compete in the future. So what does it mean to persevere? The dictionary says to persevere is to persist. It's to hold on. It's to continue. It's to refuse to stop. It is to continue in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or forces meant to discourage or stop you. And this, of course, implies and suggests what all of us should understand by now is reality. There are counter-influences. There will be opposition. And there will be forces in life that will do their best to discourage and stop you from the pursuit of your objectives. Whether that's objectives in your family, your business, your finances, your ministry, your relationship with God. There will always be forces that are counter to that, that are contrary to it. And perseverance refers to that quality of character that does not allow one to surrender or quit when counter influences, opposition, or discouragement occurs. Perseverance is the ability to continue in spite of all these things. Perseverance is the ability to bear up And keep going rather than succumbing to these negative influences. And I need to mention, I am not talking about endurance. Because most people think that endurance and perseverance really are synonyms. And they are very similar in meaning. But they don't mean exactly the same thing. To endure means to just survive. To make it through it. To face what you're facing and just get through it. That's not what I'm talking about. Perseverance as defined by Christ in the verses I read earlier is going through it and not just surviving, but it's inheriting all things in the middle of it. Amen. It's advancing in spite of the opposition you face. Amen. Did you hear that? God doesn't just want you to endure. God wants you to advance He wants you to persevere. He's not looking for people that just tread water. Go with the flow. That's a phrase that ought to be completely deleted from our our vernacular. Don't go with the flow. Uh Uh-uh, don't go with the flow. Amen. You don't get anywhere like that. Amen. Amen. What you have to do is you have to persevere. Keep fighting your way towards your objective. Stay the course. It's his desire that you persevere and advance in spite of any challenges you might face and in spite of the enemy doing all he can to stymie and thwart you. You are going to advance. That's a word for somebody. I need somebody in this building right now to throw their hands in the air and say, thank you, God, because I'm going to advance. Speak life over your own life. Speak life over whatever you're going through right now. I'm going to advance in the middle of this. Not just going to exist. I'm going to thrive. Amen. Let me show you a picture of perseverance from the Word of God. If you want to know what perseverance looks like, in these last few minutes, I want to go to a passage of scripture that paints a very clear understanding of what perseverance is and clearly also at the same time demonstrates the process of persevering. Luke 5, 17 through 20, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Did you see that? There was something electric in the atmosphere. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him, that is Christ. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And Jesus, when he saw their faith, this to me is one of the most extraordinary passages of Scripture in the Bible. Because he didn't see the man's faith who had paralysis. He saw the faith of the men who brought Jesus, brought the man into where Jesus was at. Hmm you don't know the power of good connections in your life. Amen. By the same token, you don't understand the damage of the wrong ones. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And that immediately began a theological debate. Pharisees got all upset and been out of shape. Who is this man thinks he can forgive sins? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, And to show you that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins... You that are paralyzed, take up your bed and walk. And the guy popped to his feet, picked up the bed, and like, hello. It was one of those kind of moments. Notice within this story, there is a process of perseverance. They all began and started with hope. Everyone that was there was there because of one thing, hope. And I'm assuming that when it says the power of the Lord was present to heal them, that is based upon some observable phenomenon that made them decide this. Somebody must have gotten healed and the word got out and others were getting healed until it has run through this community like wildfire. And everybody that has a need is now showing up And that little house is crowded and people are trampling the roses and the tulips. And, I mean, you can't even get to the door. They have come for one reason. They have come because they're compelled by hope. Amen. Everyone begins there. You enter into life with hope. That's foundational to the human experience. You ask a little child, 10 years old, what do you want to be when you get big? And I don't care how difficult the home life may be. You're going to see a little face glow, and a little child's going to look up and say, I want to be an astronaut when I get big. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor. I want to be an attorney. I want to be an engineer. I want to work in the government. You know, you'll see hope expressed because we are born into this world with hope. Amen. You see, nobody starts a business without hope. They hope to succeed. Nobody gets married without hope. They hope to have a family and make it work. No one is planning to fail is what I'm saying. Would you agree with that? All of the people I have met through the years, I've yet to meet one person that actually got started in life saying, I'm going to start this business and be the biggest failure you've ever met in your whole life. No. Nobody does that. Nobody falls in love and then turns to the person they're going to marry and says, let's get married and show everybody how disastrous we can make a marriage. Nobody does that. Everybody begins with hope. Businesses are launched with hope. Dreams begin, amen, with hope. Financial futures are based upon the hope of the present moment. All of us have hope. Relationships begin in hope. And they had a reason to hope because the scripture says the power of the Lord was present there to heal them. Amen. But here's what, too, what happens. Number two, the step comes along next is that something happens while you are trying to make your hope become a reality. You get Slapped in the face with the harshness of life. Amen. You come to the second step in the process, and that's when you encounter reality. They got there. They're bringing their friend on a cot, four guys, one on each side, and they're carrying the cot, and they get there thinking, we're going to get this guy healed, and when they get there, the door is blocked. There's a crowd. I mean, folk are standing everywhere you can put somebody. And the means of entry to the next level has been obscured. And there's an obstacle standing in the way that will not allow them to gain access. Have you ever been denied access? Access. To some place? Have you ever shown up in somebody, a restaurant that you wanted to go to and it turned out it was booked for the evening and somebody meets you at the door and says, I'm sorry, but the, the, the restaurant's been booked for a private affair, a wedding or something or other and you are not allowed access or have you ever gone to your computer and tried to get into an old account? Maybe you have um, with a bank or with, with maybe, you know, anything else, your uh, social media or something and you've forgotten your password, and it says access denied. Every one of us come to the point in life where access is denied. You need to realize that's not unique to you. This man experienced it. His four friends experienced it. Amen. And here's what you must realize. It was a human problem, not a spiritual problem. Who was it blocking his way? (laughs) People. People. And who is it we usually have problems with? Who's usually standing in your way? Come on, I'm being real with you. More real than you're willing to be right now. Amen. There was a crowd in the way. They were all there for the same reason. And you know what happens when you begin with hope? You begin to move toward your dream and aspiration. You know what you discover? Somebody else had the same idea. And they got there before you did. And they're blocking the door. Not only do they not want to let you in, they're struggling to get in themselves. And they're sure not going to get out of the way for you to get in when they hadn't got there yet. It was a human problem. Our mistake is we end up making human problems spiritual problems. I'm really talking to you right now. Amen. I haven't got what I thought I was going to get. I prayed and it would not work out. And we turned a human problem into a God problem. I want you to notice the power of the Lord was there, present, to heal. If you can break through, he's there. Amen. It's not a problem of him not being around. He's there. For those who can gain access, he is there. Amen. It's people that cause our problems. And you know what is really, really... Tragic about this, the truth is is that while people will block you and stand in your way and that not everyone rejoices in you getting ahead, you know who many of those people are that are blocking our way? Folks, we chose. We handpicked them. We put them there. I'm being real with you right now. We choose people to be our friends who accept us as limited What's the difference here? Rather than choosing people who see us as imperfect but unlimited. There's a world of difference in you having people around you that see you as limited because they will hold you there. And you know what we do? It's a broken world. We've been hurt. We've been disappointed. And so you know what we do? We gather people around us that have gone through the same stuff we've gone through. Testing mic, one. Yeah. We gather people around us that have been through the same stuff that look just like us, talk just like us, have the same stories we have to tell. You know why? Because we commiserate with each other. And what we ought to do is gather people around us that don't see us as limited. And the reason they see us as limited is they see themselves as limited. We need to gather people around us that see us as imperfect but unlimited as a resource. Don't you have people around you that want to to hold you back? Oh, but they comfort me because they've been through what I've been through. You mean you're going to throw away your future because they're going to pat you on the back? Don't you do that. Choose friends who won't let you stop. Amen. And this is where it ends for so many people because the fourth step for most people in the process of perseverance is that when they run into the crowd and find access blocked, they turn around and go back home. They give up and quit trying. To get what you need in life, you have to refuse to accept it. When the screen says access denied, you must keep trying. Years ago, I preached a series of messages and Holly Holm just won the, the latest championship for the UFC. And, but before she did, my son-in-law and, and Mike, uh, Jeff and Mike, uh, members of the church, his business partner Mike. And th- these guys have a company and most of you know. And and they sponsored Holly when she was in another fighting uh, group and with another organization. But when she moved up to UFC, UFC says, You got to let all your sponsorships go. We have our sponsors. They, what it is, they're paying UFC big money too. And so you cut loose of your sponsors, we'll give you a ride to the next level. And so she had to let these guys go, and everybody understood that. But There was a a series of messages I preached years ago. And what these guys are doing, Mike and Jeff, they also have a little clothing line they developed for their their company. And they took some of the the message titles. One of them is in the series that I was preaching, Refused to be Refused. They turned that into a T-shirt and maybe a hat, I don't know, whatever. And you know what? Holly Holmes and her team were wearing that stuff. And, I mean, getting it out there for everybody to see it. And it's been a big boost to the company. And I'm really glad. But, but that really is a principle of life. It's not just a sermon title or a series title. You have to refuse to be refused. Amen. And I'm closing here in just a moment. But so many people, it ends right there. They refuse. They say, okay. And go home. And what you have to do is you can't stop. This man fortunately had friends who would not let him quit. They stayed with him. And you need to choose friends who inspire you to get to the next level. And that's why you need a church. Because sometimes you're going to get hit in the pit of the stomach with the realities of life. And life is going to say, "Uh uh-uh. Access denied. And you need to be connected to some people that look at you and say, hey, they may have closed that door, but there's another way to get in. And let's go look in the window and see if we can get in that way. And and they found the window closed. And this is where we go wrong because as I said, we gather people around us who think like we do, who've come to the same conclusions that we have come to. And what this is is what... The Apostle Paul refers to in second and first Corinthians 12 when he talks about that you should not just assemble with people who have your same spiritual gifting because what we do is we forget we're the body of Christ and we want everybody to look just like us, talk just like us, think just like us it's the worst thing in the world that could happen and Paul makes the analogy that it's like You know, we're all the same body part. And so can you imagine going to church and the whole church is filled with noses? Or ears. Sitting on every seat, there's a great big ear, a great big nose. That would look odd. But that's what our lives look like to God when we've surrounded ourselves with people who think just like us, look just like us, talk just like us. No, you need people that, that contribute something to you And make you see things from a different perspective. Hello, somebody. So do you know what his friends did? You know what they did? They climbed higher. Instead of giving up, they looked up. And I'm about done. But that's what you need to do. When you come to access denied, don't give up. Look up. And that's what we're doing in the middle of all of this economy with the building program and with our giving. You know why I'm going to continue to give? It's because even when access says denied and it has been deprived of me, I trust God to give me another way in. The, maybe, he, the, maybe the reason he didn't want you to enter at this level is he's got another entry at the next level. He actually, oh, I'm preaching right now. Maybe he wants to do for you like they did for one of my classmates in school, let you skip a grade, amen, and promote you to a higher level. Oh, hallelujah. Even though there was a cloud, crowd blocking their way, Jesus was still there. He was still there. And so, you know what they did? They didn't give up, they looked up, and they climbed up and tore a hole in the roof, and the man got what he needed Sometimes the way you think it ought to go is not the way God wants it to go. Amen. And he's got other plans. You're on the right track in terms of your desire. But in terms of procedures and methodologies, maybe he's got a different course. He's going to lead you through to get you to the same place. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. Your circumstance, as I finish, is meant to do several things. Number one, it is meant to make you become hungry. Israel was content to stay in Egypt until a new Pharaoh came along that did not know Joseph, the scripture says. They would have been perfectly happy to have aborted their destiny and compromised their future by accepting a second best present when God had the best in store for them. And you know what God had to do? He had to allow them to come to a place where it was uncomfortable. And secondly, your circumstance is intended to not only make you become hungry, but it's intended to cause you to refine your dream. Amen. Because sometimes our dreams are a little vague and nebulous, and maybe we... filled in some places that were missing with what we thought ought to go there when God had some other things to go there. Here's what, for example, look at Moses. Moses planned to be a key player in the government of Egypt. That was his dream. God had other plans for him because God intended for him to not only be a key player in the government of Egypt but also in the government of heaven. God's plan is always bigger for you than your plan is for yourself. I wish somebody would say amen. Moses had spent his life being educated in the finest schools and with the finest sciences of his day, thinking that all of this I'm putting together a package that will make me complete enough that I can lead the greatest kingdom of the ancient world. And you know what God said? Oh, wrong, Moses! I'm not letting you go to this school and learn these sciences, sciences so that you can lead the greatest kingdom of the ancient world. I am letting you go through this school so you can lead the greatest kingdom of all time and that is the kingdom of God. I'm going to let you lead my people. God's plan was always bigger than Moses. Amen. Amen. God used Moses' circumstances to help Moses refine his dream. Never compromise it to a second and and lower level, but refine it to an even higher and more clarified position. And thirdly, your situation helps you discover that your dream, when it is refined, was really God's dream all along for your life. You see, so many of us, when we hit that place that says access denied, we, we almost get a little bitterness in our heart toward God and say, gee, God, you let others get there. Why not me? And we don't really see it and process it the way that he means for us to. Amen. Your situation was meant to help you discover that your dream when you refine it was really God's dream all along for your life even before you were born God wasn't in opposition to your plans and aspirations He was the one who placed them and put the desire in your heart to achieve them If you don't believe that, look at this dream of Israel in Egypt. The children of Israel were willing to compromise and give up on their dream of a promised land. It wasn't the children of Israel that continued to pursue the dream of a promised land in spite of God opposing them. No, that's not what happened. It was God dragging them along when they all along the way wanted to compromise for something less than that. And you need to understand that God has plans for you that are bigger than you can possibly imagine for yourself. I wish somebody would shout hallelujah. I feel the presence of God in this house right now. Amen. It wasn't their dream of a promised land. It was God's dream of giving them a promised land. There were times they were perfectly willing to compromise and quit and go back. They told the Lord, told Moses, at least in Egypt we had some onions to eat. Boy, talk about selling out for a little bit of an onion and you're going to go back to slavery. And there's a promised land waiting for you. God said, I can't let you sell out for that. God, you're blocking my way. Access denied. I'm upset. And there we are pouting because the door didn't open. And the reason he didn't want it to open at that level is he had another level. Somebody in the building say hallelujah.